0: Everyone and welcome to Fly on the Wall. And Happy Easter. And Happy Easter. This podcast is dropping uh, on the holiest day of the Christian calendar, and uh, we're excited that you've chosen to listen to us. And Shows real dedication. Real dedication. So you probably recognize one of the voices here. It's not a regular voice, uh, but we're happy to have him. It's Justin McCartney taking over for Christian, because Christian is already left for Easter <laughs> break. Uh, the great thing about going to a Catholic school is that we have Easter off. Um, which meant my roommate just up and left last night and uh, left me and Justin to do the pod, but we're very excited to have him back. Very excited. Yeah, Justin was critical to a fantastic episode. Check it out a few weeks back. Marlon Marshall talking about uh, grassroots organizing and political campaigning. Did you enjoy talking to, to Marlon?
1: I love talking to Marlon. We had a, you know, a, a great chat about what's going on, especially right now um, in, in Georgia in particular, uh, but really just what the Democratic Party has done since November 8th of last year, uh, as far as, you know, getting prepped for the midterm elections.
0: Yeah, I personally, I thought it was one of the best pods, even though I was a little salty, it wasn't, <laughs> It wasn't involved <laughs> and in And made it. that very clear. I made it very clear in the next episode. Uh, but cool, welcome, 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 we have a fantastic guest, his name is Doug High, uh, he's basically a communications master uh, for the Republican Party and has done a lot of great work, both. For the party, the movement, uh, as well as for specific individuals within the party, uh, we'll get to some more of that later. But first, let's kick off uh, some of the news that we've seen in this week. Uh, I just want to take one minute to explain a story that I found fascinating. Uh, and for those of you that are following, um, it's just so it's just so intriguing. I love like this little. It's like House of Cards politics almost. Uh, it was this front headlines of CNN. When we were out in the office actually. It's everywhere. Uh, the story is Ryan's previous. Steve Bannon, Jared Kushner, are trying to coexist in this White House right now, and I think it's, I think it's fascinating. You have three individuals with such unique, distinct ideologies and personalities, uh, all working and trying to serve uh, a man who arguably has no ideology. President Trump doesn't really conform to any orthodoxy, any party uh, platforms. He, he says what he believes, and he, he does what he believes. Uh, and you have three of his key advisors, you know, you have Priebus, who's, uh, best friends, uh, if this is any indication, best friends with the speaker, uh, both growing up in Wisconsin. Uh, you have Steve Bannon, you know, the, the far right, uh, previous owner or editor of Breitbart. Uh, and you also have Jared Kushner, who's considered to be a little more moderate, just like, uh, his, his wife Ivanka, uh. And these three, you know, all ends of the spectrum, are, are coming together to trying to create policy and trying to tell the president what to do, and, and it's just gotten a little nasty. Uh, and finally, the president just said, cut it out. And the three of them were together at Mar-a-Lago just a couple days ago trying to talk through this. So I think it's fascinating how much an impact uh, these people and the, their personalities can have.
1: And something to, to keep an eye out in the coming weeks, too, if there ends up being a, a little staff shakeup from President Trump. Um, one other story you definitely didn't miss this past week. You heard this um, one. <laughs> and since we'll be talking about communications with our guest later on, um, we wanted to give you a brief recap on the uh, United Airlines situation um, that I'm sure you heard about uh, throughout the past week. So um, for those of you that didn't or that didn't you know, take the time to read a full story on it, um, in a wild scenario, and one that you know, I personally was flabbergasted to see um, on a lot of different levels, the... Security team um, from United Airlines apparently had an overbooked flight and decided that they had to physically throw someone off of it um, to free up a seat, um, and they did so rather brutally, uh, which you know was concerning. Like I was saying before, and there's footage of this, right? There is. There's actually more footage just came out this morning. Um, he tried going back on the plane and they threw him off a second time. It seems like um, face, blood, and you know, all. It's it's you know not great uh, on just a basic humanity level. Um, but an absolute disaster for a, a public image and communications mm. level. Um, I mean, we've seen their stocks dropping like crazy. It's just, it's, a, it's an absolute mess. Um, and we've been talking about it, you know, what's been going on, you know, how does a communications team... For a business like United Airlines, even try and start cleaning that up.
0: Well, hint, hint. We're gonna have someone very, very, very well versed in this sort of strategy. We are.
1: They definitely could have used Doug High uh, in that in that room when they were deciding what to uh, what their apology message is gonna uh, gonna say.
0: Cool. Uh, and something else that we want to start this week. We're gonna shine a spotlight on what we think is gonna be big uh, for the next upcoming week. So when you're listening to our pod, you can. You can sort of orient yourself uh towards what we'll be thinking about throughout the week and what we think is going to be big news uh and there's an election on tuesday (laughs) believe it or not there is a special election for georgia's sixth congressional district the seat vacated by uh tom price who took over the health and human services uh department in the trump administration uh and on tuesday april 18th we're gonna figure out who is uh who's gonna take that seat And it's going to be filled uh, in a manner called a jungle primary. If you want to actually go back and look at Fly on the Trail, we actually sent Christian to— Special shout-out. Special (laughs) shout-out to our previous pod. Uh, We sent Christian down there to go check out what it was like on the ground uh, in the special election. So if you want to understand a little bit more about that before we get the results of this jungle primary on Tuesday, highly recommend.
1: Absolutely. Uh, So we also come to the point where we're going to give you our tweet of the week. Which is one that you are going to have to check out in person because Uh, it involves quite the adorable picture of
0: two of our former presidents. Yeah, to the text of this, this is something Bill Clinton sent out on April 9th. Uh, In quote, he says, Great to spend time with at George H.W. Bush and Mrs. Bush in Houston today. We caught up about kids, grandkids, old times and new times. And socks. Because what else are George Bush and Bill Clinton going to talk about? <laughs> and they're holding socks? socks. I think it's like Christian and Justin when I first pitched this as the tweet of the week. They, they looked at me with some flabbergasted eyes. But I think this is one of the best things that we've ever seen. Bipartisanship. Bipartisanship. Right? Like if you think that Barack Obama is going to deliver socks to Donald <laughs> Trump when he's uh, when he's in a wheelchair, I, I, it's just not going to happen. It's, it's a different time in Washington. It's a different. <laughs> It's a different era um, for sure. but it's nice to see uh, something as adorable as this. So definitely check out the, uh, the picture. We'll probably tweet it out. At
1: some yes, point. we definitely will. Um, so promos for the week. Uh, this is something we're gonna start um, and continue going forward. Uh, we're gonna give a quick little shout out to any event that um, is coming up on campus. Uh, anyone that, that's reached out to us uh, that has something that relates to, you know, the co- sort of things that we talk about here in the podcast. So if you do have anything, definitely make sure to reach out to us, give us a shout on Twitter or via email. Um, our uh, inaugural promos though is of course for our Fly on the World podcast, which dropped on Wednesday um, in partnership with the Caravel uh, publication here on campus. We talked to Ambassador Hart of Barbados um, about how climate change is affecting his country so super excited about that. Give that a listen.
0: Definitely check it out. Yeah, it's super short, 25 minutes. Uh, so not as long as some of the other ones we've done. Uh, but super substantive, super fascinating. I also want to give a quick shout-out to, and this is something that's going to happen just hours after we drop this pod. I wish I could talk about it. Uh, <laughs> like, I wish I wish we could delay a bit so I could talk about this. But the Easter egg roll at the White House, the annual Easter egg roll, uh, shout-out to the White House uh, staff that's putting this together. Maybe. Hopefully. I... <laughs> I hope you can pull it off because it's it's so it's so fun. Uh, so moving forward, uh, let's let's segue yeah. into the content of this podcast because, like we said at the top of the episode, uh, when we did our one minute snapshots, the week has really been driven by communications, right? Like the communications uh, snafu with United, uh, Pepsi. similar things with Pepsi, uh, similar problems. Uh, coming from the previous Ben-Kushner split sure. within the White House. It, it's all about messaging. It's all about you know showing exactly what you want to show and, and handling some of the crises that pop up uh, when you're unable to do that. And I can think of no one better to talk about that, especially from a GOP perspective, than the guest you're about to hear from, Doug High. Absolutely. Uh, so a bit more into his bio, he was the communications
1: director for the RNC in 2010 uh, up until April of 2012. He also was the uh, deputy chief of staff for um, Eric Cantor as majority leader um, until uh, Cantor lost his seat in 2014. So, definitely mm-hmm. a uh, quite the breadth of experience there. Um, and the things that he's going to talk to us about are and- things you do not hear unless you are at a very important uh, seat at the table.
0: Yeah, seriously. And he is probably going to be one of the most open people we have on this podcast because he knows what we're all about. He was actually a fellow at the Harvard Institute of Politics uh, back in fall of 2015 uh, when he actually talked about some of these same things. He talked about crisis communications uh, for a semester. And now he writes for the Wall Street Journal. He's a commentator for CNN. So he's used to sort of giving that perspective, articulating it well, and exciting us with his breadth of knowledge. So I can't wait. You, you want to go grab him, bring him Yeah, back? let's bring Doug in. Lit. Everyone and welcome to Fly on the Wall. We're here uh, with someone who truly understands uh, communications unlike anyone else. Uh, Doug, welcome to the podcast.
2: Thank you. Good to be here.
0: Yeah. So first, I have to say congratulations on UNC. (laughs) <laughs> you've, done so your re- yeah. you've done your research. You, yes. really, you really messed up my bracket. I had Oregon going all the way. <laughs> yeah, and I didn't do so hot either. One of our friends, uh, we were watching that Oregon-UNC game, and it was down to the wire. And we were like, one of us is going to go to the final. <laughs> one of us is going to win this bracket pool. Whoever wins this game, and uh, it So I,
2: I filled out my brackets. What I typically do is I fill them out by hand. Sure. And then I do them online. Mm-hmm, and okay. um, CBS Sports was down for like a couple of hours. No way. Um, on that... Wednesday morning or Thursday morning. Right. and So I never got to, to fill mine. Um, I had Arizona beating Carolina in the finals. Oh. So when Arizona lost, I'm like, okay, it's <laughs> that's it. I'm out of it. No more what?
0: conflict of interest. Right, anymore. exactly. <laughs> you got a fun surprise out of it. Mm hmm. That's awesome. Great. Well, uh, let's just get started and dive right into yeah. uh, the questioning. So what we want to start with, and I guess the overall theme of this podcast that we're going for is communications, right? Mm-hmm. And that's your specialty, yeah. messaging, and and how to get through crisis and, and things like that. So what we want to start with is successful messaging in the age of cross party bickering. And everyone, <laughs> uh, everyone's fully aware that Democrats and Republicans don't really like each other mm-hmm. right now, especially uh, in elected government. Uh, but something that we've read about you, uh, and I found this to be uh, particularly eye opening. Uh, Peter Welch, Democrat from Vermont, mm-hmm. said. Uh, and I quote: He could take a half step back and have a critical eye about things that were happening on his side, and that you were always able to remain focused on an end mm-hmm. goal. So the first question is how? <laughs> right. You know, it, it seems like well, everyone one, is you just so bribery is
2: illegal, but obviously Congressman <laughs> Welch took a very large check to say that. Um, no, I think I've I've benefited from kind of having been through some ridiculous, uh, gut wrenching crises, communications crises in the past. Sure. Um, and, and when you've had that experience, um, it gives you a better critical eye of things and also kind of tells you, you know, while the work, especially in, in Congress is very important not to take it or yourself too seriously. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so by example, um, when I was working for the Republican national committee, um, like my fourth week on fifth week on the job, we had, um, a scandal break, um, that a staffer had refused. There was a, a fundraising trip in California, in Los Angeles, mm. and some people after one of the finance events went to um, this, this nightclub, the name of which I should, it should be burned in my brain <laughs> and I'm not thinking of it offhand. And so, and, and basically one of our finance staffers reimbursed somebody for that. Um, and that consumed the media for well over a week, mm-hmm. um, it was the number one topic on um, not just Fox, MS, CNN, but on the Daily Show, on Letterman, on Leno, because they were the hosts back then, um, Conan, you know whomever. It was all consuming, um, and you know we could talk about that in more detail later. Fast forward a few years, um, I was working for Eric Kanner and I'm about three months on on in the job, uh, during the August recess, and one of the things that Kanner would do what he would take, uh, every other year, he'd take uh, members to Israel. Um, And so they can kind of see Iron Dome and some of the defense um, projects that, you know, that Israel's working on, just kind of given their precarious place in the world. Um, And in the previous trip, uh, this had come out a year, or was coming out a year after the fact. um, There was a member of Congress, a bunch of, uh, the group goes to the Sea Mm -hmm. of Galilee. Um, and one of the members on the trip decides to, after kind of a long boozy dinner, uh, people go swimming. Mm. One member decided that he didn't need any clothes for that, oh. and so that happened. <laughs> so I started working with um, John Bresnahan and Jake Sherman at Politico mm-hmm. um, on the story. That they came to me and said, "This happened. We're writing about it," you know, et cetera. And had a conference call with the team. And uh, as you can as you can imagine. Um, Majority Leader Kanner was, was pretty worked up about it yeah, yeah, um, exactly. and, you know, asked some rather pointed questions to me about it. I'm still new in the job. Uh, and I remember remarking to him, uh, and this is where we became totally good, uh, I said, you know, hey, Eric, because we called him Eric, uh, I said, you know, if, if I can handle... The club at the RNC. (laughs) I think I can handle skinny dipping in the Holy Land, and you know it was kind of. I mean, because it's the Holy Land. I think that's probably uh... see a Galilee. Jesus walked on it. Probably not where you want to go skinny dipping. Oh man! But um, you know that not only broke broke the ice and and broke the tension, um, but kind of served you know for me as as a point that I would kind of go back to whenever Congress is doing whatever ridiculous thing it was up to, whether it was the shutdown, sure. um, we had a farm bill vote that we had to pull, um, debt ceiling, debt limit, um, whatever kind of the crisis du jour was, and, and it's, it's still the same now, every day is a crisis there, um, to kind of have a detached eye and know that even though these are very important things that you're dealing with, that you can't have them be all-consuming and and make you lose sight on what you're actually there for. and. Um, I think, you know, the folks in, in the Speaker's office now um, and, and Majority Leader uh, McCarthy's office, I think I have a really good sense of that, of, you know, every day with Donald Trump, there is a new shiny object. And we don't know what it's going to be tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Maybe the president and some folks in the White House know what it's going to be tomorrow. Maybe not. Um, but that they're focused on a long-term objective on, you know, that can be replacing Obamacare. We'll see how that goes. That could be tax reform. Um but to, to not get caught in the, in the daily machinations that can become all-consuming.
0: All Great, uh, and you've provided the segue perfectly. So <laughs> the next question uh, we would like to ask is, as an observer of this new administration, this new Congress, uh, how, how are these different actors doing in their comm shops? And could you evaluate you know, some of their performance so far?
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I think this White House, more so than, than others, um, but but to some extent is is true in previous ones. Um, I think I think it's very easy to kind of focus on the daily briefing or the latest headline, and and Lord knows there are a lot of them okay. and and kind of not step back and and look at look at somewhat of a forest instead of just every individual tree. Um, you know, I, th- I think Sean Spicer, by and large, is doing a really good job. His job is very different. Than Josh Earnest, Jobs, or Robert Gibbs, or Ari Fleischer, or, or whomever, um, and that's different for a lot of reasons. One, Trump is obviously a very different person than Obama or Bush or you know Hillary Clinton would have been, to say the least. Um, yeah. But also, Trump watches this. Um, Josh Earnest tells the story um, that when you know when he started as White House press secretary, the president said. That he was never going to watch him because he didn't need to because he knows that Josh is going to do his job well go get him uh, and so forth and he's busy with other things Trump operates in a very different fashion obviously he watches it and if he doesn't see you know all 60 minutes of it or however long it may go on a given day he is watching at least some of it and certainly getting getting reports on it so you know Sean is not only you know out there Pushing whatever the, the administration's agenda is but he's also pushing very specifically um, what the president wants him to say um, and then also I think to some extent what the president wants to hear said on television mm-hmm. um, and I think if, if you view it from that context um, it's, it's, it's a very different thing he, he does not have it may be the same podium but it's not the same job that Josh Ernest had
1: yeah I think it's a great point and I've noticed it as well how kind of in the spotlight these White House briefings have become. We have them on in the office every mm-hmm. day. My you office know, as well, yeah. Yeah, everyone comes around the TV to, to see what Sean Spicer's going to say, what's they, the, you know, the crisis of the day They is. call it Spicer time. Spicer time, <laughs> absolutely. One, two o'clock, it's a very, very exciting time. to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to keep on that theme of mm-hmm. of you know communications of today um, but go back a bit further in your past yes. um when you worked in iowa mm-hmm. um, on communications for the iowa republican party yeah um because we want to talk about sort of intra-party comms, mm-hmm. uh, which is relevant today of course <clears throat> so um drawing on your experience there we know that uh, at that stage in a campaign uh, a state party can't really endorse a candidate yeah but at the same time you're trying to push that party's platform. you're trying to sell it to voters to get them to come out and vote mm-hmm. um, to convince them that any of the Republican candidates in the field uh, is who you should vote for. Yeah right. So, so how does that work? How can you kind of push a me- push a message without pushing a, a candidate in particular?
2: Yeah, it's, it's interesting. the, the Iowa um, caucus, I'm, I'm so glad that I did, but it, it, it was very it was very easy but difficult at the same time because mm-hmm. what you're doing was a bit difficult. Um, and so part of it was, Matt Strawn was the chairman of the Iowa GOP then. He used to work here in D.C. Great guy. Um, wanted to help kind of with his exposure as well. Sure. Because the chairman of the party is really the one who's, who's, you know should be out there doing that. Mm-hmm. And so we signed the contract. I sent an email to Betsy Fisher, who at the time was a producer for Meet the Press, and said, you know, would you like to have Matt on? And she knew Matt, um, you know, the Sunday before the caucus. And I'm thinking, if I can get him on a panel with three other people, fantastic. Yeah. She emails me back within 30 minutes and says, um, great, why don't we lead the show with him one-on-one um, leading the show? Wow. And so I, I emailed Matt. I've been on the job for 30 minutes. <laughs> and I said... Uh, look what I just did exactly exactly <laughs> and, I, and I swear to you I put my feet up on my desk and I said well my, my work's done here Job <laughs> right?" Um, but it, it became um, for several reasons uh, pretty, pretty tricky um, you had basically Romney versus Santorum mm-hmm. um, and the Santorum people were especially guarded about objectivity and um, I think some were looking were actively looking for examples of you know, oh, you're putting the fix in for Romney and so forth. And so, you know, Matt had to bend backwards to make sure that he wasn't doing that. Um, very similar to kind of how Reince Priebus was, Mm -hmm. uh, last year and the year before in the primaries. Um, so we get to the caucus, everything is great. Um, and then it's caucus night. So kind of similar to election night. Um, this, this past time when the results come in, it's not necessarily what you expect. Um, and I'm going to get the numbers wrong, but on primary night, uh, Romney was declared the winner with like 12, 12 votes mm-hmm. out of the entire state. Twelve more votes in Santorum, and wow. it, it could have been sixteen. Yeah, it wasn't twenty-eight, right? Um, so as as the numbers are coming in, um, it is at one point a one-vote separation, oh. uh, and we're backstage at the. Um, convention center in Des Moines, and all of the press is on the other side of a curtain, basically. <laughs> um, every TV network, foreign networks, print reporters. Um, it's basically a stage in the press. And we're trying to figure out at this point, you know, what are we going to do? Um, and I, I remember telling Matt, who had a look like the fear of God was in him, and I don't blame him, because one vote, what do you do? Um, and I just said, look, this, this thing is not going to be over until you declare it. And so as the press person, meanwhile, you know, I've got all the press calling me, um, what are the real numbers, et cetera. Uh, I remember Michael Clemente, who at the time was a um, uh, news director at Fox, called me basically saying, hey, you know, how much longer are we, are we going to go live? Because if you're Fox or CNN, that decision is real money that you're spending right. on satellite time, on trucks and so forth. Um, and I just said, look, when, when we have an answer, we'll have an answer. Um, and so they get, the number gets to where, to where it ended up on caucus night and great. We're going to go, we gave a two minute warning so that the media could, you know, especially television could come back from commercials and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, uh, Karl Rove was on Fox and said, um, Romney's going to be declared the winner. Um, with this number of votes. I think I think it was nine. Um, and Jeff Zelani, who at the time was at the New York Times, um, was emailing me saying, this is what Rose telling people. Is he right? Carl was not right. He was getting his information from somebody inside, I forget who um, with the Romney campaign. And I basically said to Jeff, no, that's not the correct number. And of course, Jeff, it's like not only what is the correct number, but my answer basically said I'm not going to tell you who won. Blows up. Wow. So, two minutes go by. Matt comes out and announces um, Romney wins with whatever the vote total was. Um, and Rove's number, Rove was right that Romney was going to be declared the winner, but he was off by, you know, with the a right. couple votes, eight, eight votes or something. Wow. Um, you know, caucus is over. It's fantastic. Um, The the Des Moines Register and ABC News both declared Matt like one of the winners of the caucus um, because he he ran an incredibly good process. Um, And then they start doing, as these things always happen, recounts um, and verifications. And it turns out that Santorum won by 13 votes or whatever the the number was. Again, not 47 or anything like that. and so it became. I'm now off the job, but Matt's my friend, so I still want to want to help him out. Um, and kind of messaging that became the hard part. And you know, for Santorum, it was incredibly sour grapes because if he wins Iowa, he goes in New Hampshire everything. with much different um, with a much different load um, behind him, and fundraising and so forth. Um, but the part of staying objective it was was part of the prime directive. But so much so that it's just very easy to talk about process. Yeah. And we didn't have, you know, a Trump-like figure um, actively attacking the process as it was going on and so forth. Uh, which is why I think, you know, Ryan's had a very difficult job um, during the primaries of trying to, to remain neutral. And it's, you know, it is in the RNC's bylaws that so much so that, and this doesn't apply to the senatorial or the congressional committees, mm-hmm. but, you know, Paul Ryan had a primary opponent. Um, I think he got 12% of the vote. (laughs) Ryan's, who's friends with Paul Ryan, who's from Wisconsin, under the rules of the RNC, cannot support Paul Ryan in the primary unless the state party has filed, it's either a Rule 10 or 11, I forget, Rule 10 or 11 letter. Um, That's how strict it is. uh, That we can't even, as the RNC, endorse the the Speaker of the House unless the state gives us permission to. so in in the national election, obviously you can't do anything. But Trump said some things that obviously caused a lot of heartburn for a lot of Republicans. And so the, kind of the balance that Reince was trying to play was a very very tough one for him. Um, but neutrality, you know, in this situation is is paramount. Um, and you know, two thousand and twelve, we didn't have Democrats to really talk about. Mm-hmm. So we focused on you know the process of the caucus and and so forth. Um, that allows you, you know, to talk about kind of what you want to talk about, and not really get into the difference of, you know, Romney versus Santorum mm-hmm. versus whomever. You can just focus on here's what we're doing, and why we hope it works. Exactly. But even then, you know, when any process is, you know, in, in any election, ultimately the voters are in control, and you know, even in the caucus, which is a much different process, um, you know, getting those numbers right on primary night would have would have been great. Um, it's it's very hard to get the precise number when you've, you've got that many people voting. Um, but also, um, you know, I, the Santorum folks were, were obviously angry. I remember telling one of them, you know, if you've gotten 100 extra votes, we're not having this conversation. <laughs> yeah. and same thing with Romney. Um, you know, unfortunately, it was it was that close.
0: Right. You're dealing with what's given to you. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of what you just said resonates, uh, and we're, shameless plug for a, a podcast we did a few weeks back, where we went to Georgia mm-hmm. to look at the special election going yeah. on there. And we talked to some folks from the Democratic Party in Georgia who were talking about that same thing, you know, mm-hmm. they, they can't endorse John Ossoff, mm-hmm. because technically he's not the only yeah. candidate in the race, but he seems like the biggest frontrunner in their yeah. best chance of taking that district. So you know, it's a very fine line between what you can say and what you can't yeah. say, and, and I think focusing on process gives you that wiggle. Yeah,
2: point. and I don't know what the Democrats' rules are. Um, for the NRCC or the NRSC, they can do whatever they want mm. um, and put money behind it and so forth. The Democrats may have different rules on that, but mm-hmm. the RNC operates very differently than than the NRCC or the NRSC. Sure.
0: Okay. So you want to move on to, uh, so staying on that intraparty party the mm-hmm. end. Mm-hmm. Um, so as you know, the Republican caucus uh, in the House right now is a little split, right? The same <laughs> it's a lot split, yes. Uh, so if you were still at the RNC or... Um, Somewhere in that realm, uh, how would you have gone about handling specifically the messaging behind the uh, American Health Care Act? You know, obviously we saw a, a big divide between the Freedom Caucus, mm-hmm. the Moderates, the Paul Ryan Conservatives, and it didn't seem like they could get on the same page and, and put the same message out there. So how would you have done that Yeah,
2: I mean, I don't know that I would have done it differently. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how this necessarily will be successful. Um, you know, the divisions you have are, are several fold and it's, you know, it's yes, it's like Freedom Caucus versus kind of the more mainstream conservatives. But you also have moderates. Um, to me, the death of um, of the bill was when Rodney Freeling from New Jersey said he wasn't going to support it, a moderate and also a committee chair committee chairs. Aren't supposed to vote no on things. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my congressman. So, and, <laughs> shout out to, to <laughs> shout out to you, Rodney. Um, you know, typically that's that's part of being a chairman is you know you're put in this position by leadership. You're going to help advance leadership's goals. He didn't do that. Um, Paul Ryan, when he was a chair, sometimes didn't do it. Um, and 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 it's kind of brought in these pendulum politics of with just within the conference of. We go, to the, we go to the right to make sure that we've got the Freedom Caucus members and then you'll hear a Charlie Dent or an Adam Kinzinger or a Freeling Heisen um, upset. And so we move back over sure. and you know, there, there tend, we tend to lose kind of a, a moral center within the party. Um, and meanwhile, there are also folks who have you know, very clear either um, objectives or, or motives to say no. If you're in the Freedom Caucus, that's what your job is apparently supposed to be is to say no to things, unless you can get 100% of what you want. There are outside groups that are fundraising for that, um, which is not an insignificant consideration. Mm-hmm. Um, how leadership messages that uh, is, you know, trying to be as as upbeat as possible. Um, we're a big tent, we're a big party, we're gonna work out these differences. Um, you know, all those kinds of same things. The, the the challenge is, and this this has been true, this is the shutdown um, from. Uh, 2012 um, is those things can be true and not true at the same time, um, but leadership's job is to really remain a steady hand, even if you know even if the outside is, is if the house is burning down. Um, you know they're essentially there to say you know there's nothing to see here, even though you know the house burning down is definitely something mm-hmm. people people want to watch, um, and that's where the, I think there's a you know the the balance that a that a press staffer has in maintaining credibility, because um, you have to you, you can't tell a lie. Um, you know there can be alternative facts. <laughs> I don't think a, I don't think it was like the mo- the worst term in the world. Um, you know, Steny Hoyer and Kevin McCarthy are going to have alternative facts from each other. You yeah. know, um, they both can be somewhat true or totally true or not true. You know, but depends on how you use them. Yeah. Um, but still, but still being honest with the press um, t- to maintain your own credibility—that may be off the record, you know, or or in not saying something—that's um, the balance that that I think they they strive to achieve, and that's I think that's true in any in any crisis situation, and that, it's not just politics. You know, that's United Airlines this week, yeah. Georgetown basketball two yeah. weeks ago. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> when you know you have a segment of your industry or of the country all looking at you and something something's not working right whatever it may be um, you've got to deal with that and so i thought like the united airlines thing to me was fascinating um, because obviously what happened was terrible and politics is so different than business because in politics you know for all the legislative directors and judges and all of this there aren't a lot of lawyers involved in in the like vetting of everything yeah um, a politician can say whatever they want um, the staff can say kind of whatever they want working with the member um, so f- folks here, like my Twitter feed was just, and, and, and myself included, you know, all he has to do is apologize, say we're fixing the situation, you know, and, and try and start moving forward. Um, but if you're the CEO of United, you can't necessarily throw your employees under the bus. They're also union employees, mm-hmm. so you're going to have a problem there. And you've got shareholders and share prices and lawyers telling you, you know, what to do. No, I still think you, you overrule that and say <laughs> <the common> decency. <laughs> some, some, some mistakes were made here, you know, and you can be tough on the language, but that's kind of the balance, you know, that, that they that they were trying to deal with, um, and unfortunately, you know, initially we're very tone deaf to it, whereas in politics, you know, if, if, if we don't get it right, in, in a weird sort of sense, we sincerely don't get it right, um, because we're not just... there's. This isn't always the case, but we're not vetting everything, mm-hmm. you know. A member can can just go and say something in sheer frustration and, and tell the staffer, type that up and put it out. And every press staffer has been in that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, you may want to change some things and go back and forth, but you're not thinking about shareholders or, you know, whatever. It's a totally different and circumstance. I,
0: I think that segues perfectly into what we're going to talk about in this last segment is uh, is crisis communications. So, you know, we've all been there. We yep. all have uh, uh, those sort of tricky situations. But what I'm wondering, especially uh, in your uh, field, what about crisis makes it so tricky to manage? Is it, uh, is it the surprise of the situation? Is it the inability to control every moving piece? You know, what about that landscape when you're presented with an, uh, with a crisis makes yeah. it so tricky?
2: It's a lot of things. You know, the, the fir- first and foremost is you're working for a member of Congress, a senator, a candidate. Um, so you have to do what is what you think is going to be ultimately, and working with them certainly, in their best interest. You have to have them sign off. They may not want to. There may be times when they're not honest with you. Um, or they have information that they haven't shared with you. Or they're just plain wrong. Um, or sometimes they're right and very helpful. Um, which... <laughs>
0: not uh, often not, no more
2: i mean more than you think but um, you know it's it's kind of it's it's all of those um, but you also i th- politicians also have a, a you know kind of a natural defensiveness um, because they're being criticized every day by somebody you mm-hmm. know there's no politician regardless of party or 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 what have you in this country that has 100% approval rating mm-hmm. and you know in the past it used to be easier because Less was reported and stories could die, basically could die quicker. Now, anybody can tweet anything. Um, if a politician is crossing the street, somebody can put a phone in their face, um, you know, and and on and on and on. Um, that makes it much harder. Um, but to me, I, I think it just kind of goes back to fundamentals. Um, and, and the rest are more kind of tactical and, and so forth. And I think, you know, for, for the politician, um, and this this is this is true of United um, um, or Delta or Pepsi or you know whomever. You know, first and foremost is, is understanding the truth is most likely going to get out. So you you need to a you know have a, have an honest conversation with yourself or within your office and so forth um, about that what happened, how it happened, why it happened, um, what what was good, what was bad. So the Sea of Galilee story. We, and this this was three weeks of August basically, July and August of 2012. Um, it was bad, Uh, but but the more we're talking to Canner, um, you know, I remember saying, Wait a second, so you weren't there, you found out about it, you got mad, and and you yelled at the members, and you did something about it. Okay, you're going to be, I think, you're going to be fine in this story, right? And it turned out actually, it, it. weirdly was this positive for us that we would never want to go through again. Um, But it was having that kind of honest conversation. Um, If you can't have that, I think you're doomed from the start. Um, And so, you know, especially we see this a lot with athletes um, where they basically deny the story and then, you know, there's the video footage. Um, So now not only did they do something they shouldn't have, but they're also dishonest. Mm -hmm. Um, And that kind of, you know, snowballs everything. Um, you know, so, so getting, you getting to a place of owning up to things and, and, and being sincere about it. Um, I, have noticed in Washington over the years, you know, there are two kinds of apologies. The, um, I regret that what I said you interpreted wrong. Right. So it's your fault, not my yeah. fault. Or less frequent is the, you know, I made a, I made a mistake and I'm trying to fix it. And when that happens, you know, people react very differently. Um, and that helps kind of that process. Um, but then there are also a million kind of tactical things that are going on, you know, who are the, does the press know about this yet? Sometimes you hear about it from the press. Sometimes you don't, um, which press outlet, um, and if they don't know which press outlet do you want to, you know, push something out to, um, that's going to tell your story, you know, in a bit more friendly of a sense than others. Um, okay. You know, are you going to do any television or not? Um, in some cases television will be inescapable. So um, do you just go ahead and do it immediately or do you try and see if you can ride it out and then, you know, by the time you, you do the next TV interview, you're on to three different topics and yeah. it There's doesn't a come up. Story. Um, and you never really know um, until you do it. So you pick a network, you pick a show, um, you work with that reporter. They're not going to tell you exactly what they're going to ask. Um but you'll at least get a sense of where they're coming from. Um, and then from there, obviously, now, you know, people are pushing things out on Facebook, on Twitter, you know, they're Snapchatting stuff. Um, you know, there aren't, we aren't yet using filters of like, I screwed up, <laughs> but um, that's, that's probably coming. Sure. Um, and then you'll start to see kind of a slow, but it, it's, it's so massive now because there's so many more people writing and talking about everything. Um, but you'll start to see kind of it slowly fade away. And we used to talk about news cycles and this is is something going to last one or two or three or 10 news cycles, basically days. Mm -hmm. Um, But that was, that was the old model of, you know, you, you, basically you're working until seven o'clock and you know, if Tom Brokaw, Dan Rather and Peter Jennings didn't mention it, okay, we're done. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And then you just hope it doesn't come up on one of the morning shows the next day. Now it's not so much a cycle, it's just a line. And, slowly the line will start to fade away. Um, And there may be a blip or two here, here or there, but you start to see, you know, especially when it works. And when it works, it it goes, it passes faster. um, That it, that it fades away. So with the Sea of Galilee story, um, I had a reporter. So, so the story ran in Politico. Skinny dipping the Sea of Galilee is going to make a lot of news and it's going to be on the Daily Show and all of that. Um, And the impact that they have now um, is, is really massive. There's nighttime. Um, yeah. I mean, that's where a lot of people get their news. And there are also a lot of those shows. You know, there's there's um, Samantha Bee. There's The Daily Show. There's John Oliver. Seth Meyers. Yeah. Seth yeah, My- yeah. And they're all essentially the same show. Mm-hmm. Um, so, the, you know, they all talk about Sean Spicer every day, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but so the story hit in Politico. It was a big story. Um, but we had basically gotten our part of the story you know out there and you know again it was um, Majority Leader Canner wasn't there he found out about it he did something about it end of story so the story hits Um, Canner represented Richmond we sent it to Richmond Times-Dispatch walked them through it hey great you know and they they actually wrote something you know sometimes editorial pages will do an editorial that's like Eight different little topics right that they write five or six sentences each on and they basically said the canner was the adult in the room fantastic no problem in Richmond Um, and um, Then I started getting a call from uh, Breitbart actually um, Where the reporter and he was like a dog on a bone He says, I know there's more to this. I know that there's something that's not in this story and he wasn't wrong He was not (laughs) wrong Um, but what I basically responded to him the Politico story is accurate which was true Um, but he wasn't wrong and he came back at me like three or four times and I wasn't giving him anything because if I had it would have just perpetuated all of this and it wouldn't be good for anybody Um, but you never know where that's going to come from Um, and that's you know that's the other part of it is when you've got things where you want you know, you, you just shut your mouth and you always point back to that story. Um, if that story had blown up in our face, well, then we'd have to do a plan B or a plan C. But kind of going back and doing, if not exactly the same thing, you know, looking at it through a similar lens or, or maybe from a different lens, but with some of the same tactics or questions.
0: Sure. Uh, so you talk a lot about back control and then just trying to keep it under wraps. When and you,
2: you can't, can't it. control that. I mean, that's the ultimate thing. You can't control it.
0: You just got to get it where you want it.
2: You, as best you can. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, you know, it's like when a, when a parent, this is a bit tortured, but you know, when a parent lets go of the bicycle and the kid's pedaling, you know, that bike may go in a straight line, it may fall over two pedals mm-hmm. later. You know, you, you don't know. Um, you may have a sense, there, you know, and reporters may tell you, this is totally not gonna be a big deal. Mm-hmm. And that's usually the case if they say that, but not always. Um, because even the reporter, they, you know, they write something and it gets published then they've lost control because the story's out there, and you know, sure they can make changes, but people will look at the first copy and so forth. So there's no control. Mm-hmm. And that that's one of the hard parts.
0: Sure. Uh, so I just want to ask you a bit about, mm-hmm. um, for lack of a better word, the Trump school of crisis management, <laughs> because it's a little different than you know some of the tactics yeah. you've described. So what do you think? Is this now effective to either a you know throw point somewhere else and say mm-hmm. look at this story instead mm-hmm. or uh, double down on your comments or just sort of talk over it and pretend like it doesn't... Like, Is this an effective way to do things in the new communications landscape? It seems to be yeah. working.
1: He has people still believing him, still supporting him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, no crisis has really shook him. You know, from any kind of you know angle, you, you spin it. Um, yeah. So it's t- hard to argue t- against its For six years, it's been
0: Teflon Trump, supposedly. Yeah, yeah
2: I mean, I think, it's, I think it's definitely effective. I don't know if it's constructive. Sure. Yeah, um, that's a good point. But... And, and we don't know this yet, and we won't for a while, but Trump has changed everything. Mm-hmm. Um, um, good ways, bad ways, sure, but everything. And so, you know, how Democrats communicate five years from now, one year from now, today, is different, and will be different, because of Trump. So, um, you know, Tom Perez last week was using some, you know, kind of colorful language about Republicans. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that happens unless Trump you know, push that envelope a little. Sure. Bit. Yeah, you um, all the kinds of things that can happen. Yeah. And 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 it'll it'll happen again. And it's, you know, now seen as, you know, one of the ways that you get your message out a little bit louder. Not better necessarily, but louder. Absolutely. Um but you know, we have a million conversations on a million topics every day, but also a short attention span. So, you know, if Trump says look over there and the press looks, and and the press is in a, is in a hard spot here. Um Because they don't want to just take, they don't want to get distracted from everything. But when the President of the United States says something, that's important. And if the President, you know, says that, you know, somebody who worked in the past administration committed a crime, you can't just ignore that, right? So, so there's a bit of chicken and egg there, but um, Trump is obviously very skillful at being able to always distract our attention, create a new crisis du jour, outrage du jour, and people go and follow it. You know, nobody this week is, you know, until you, until you, last night is really talking about um uh the House Intelligence Committee. Mm-hmm. Um I, I in fact I was supposed to do some TV this morning talking about it and um then, you know, Sean Sean Spicer's Hitler comments New came up, come up. And there's the day, right? Yeah. And and that we've already seen that happen. You know, we're 75 days into this or however many and so it's happened 75 times yeah <laughs> you know, the, I think the, the question is going to become not so much what our attention span is but how much more we can absorb um, there's kind of a constant careening back and forth that may be inevitable or maybe may be impossible to s- sustain long term but it may not um, regardless I think it's I think it's very effective um, and it is it has absolutely changed. Uh, the way things are done, and Trump is this whole weird dichotomy of things. He he's the most negative president towards the press we've ever had, but he's also the most accessible that we've had in years. Yeah, no, you're um, not wrong there. you know, if if you know, Trump wants to talk about the failing New York Times, he usually does it to the New York Times because they because they can get him on the <laughs> and, phone,
1: and they're getting press off it, and they're mm-hmm. having new subscribers exactly. who are, you know want to
0: support them against the. Press. And he's following the news. You know, he's watching morning shows. He's watching yeah. evening shows. Yeah. He's he's. For his, to his credit, you know, he's very much up to date and it's so fairly transparent. He, he says what he thinks.
2: He says what he thinks or he says what he wants you to think he thinks. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Which is what we're going to get, right? But that's but that's also, you know, you don't know. And so there was that whole comment, you know, towards the end of the campaign or just after, you know, about taking him seriously and not literally or, right. and all that. I mean, I think the answer is all of the above. Um, you know, and and especially given the way that Trump has been, you know, I don't know if He believes necessarily every tweet that he says, but he's really effective in making people not only believe that, but then follow and and go, you know, go do whatever. The challenge for him is going to be, you know, especially with this Georgia um, election coming up, if if Republicans don't win it, the drumbeat's going to change a little bit. And, you know, his popularity is where he's popular, he's very popular. And where he's not, he's not. Right. Right. So Republican congressional districts, great. Um, Outside of that, not great. Um, And so if that starts to fall in Republican districts, uh, then, then I think we'll see a different change. And what we don't know is how does the White House react to that.
0: Yeah, exactly. Great. So we actually want to bring on, uh, we have a very special guest in the room today. <laughs> she's going to be our student uh, representative asking a question for the student body. Uh, and but Jessica, aren't you student representatives? We're close just, enough. That yeah, is God. true. We, we like want to be a make, little more. We want to make our podcast as accessible as possible. <laughs> a little more inclusive. Uh, so Jessica and, you know, she's the vice president of the Georgetown University Student Association. <laughs> Fantastic. So the student body vice president. She has a question for you. Um, hi. Um, I was wondering, uh, what can I tell my communications people um, if there's a crisis? What are the steps of how they tackle it? Yeah, and I've I <laughs> been looking at Jessica for uh, most of the pod because I'm actually uh, part of that comms shop, mm-hmm. for lack of a better word. And some of the things you say, yeah, have been resonating a bit. So what what, what do we do if, uh, if something goes wrong?
2: Yeah, I think, I think the first thing you do is kind of look at things through, through the lens of how a journalist would look at it. You know, so it's the who, what, where, when, and why. Mm-hmm. Um, who did what? Why did they do it? You know, how how was it done? So you you know, and th- this is true whether it's whether it's a crisis or or you're just trying to you know put news out there, um, that you have a have a firm grasp on everything um, that could be asked of you, um, and then you can go and push and emphasize what you want to emphasize, um, so that. You know, that's, that's a part of your story. You don't have to tell everything, um, and you don't want to tell everything. Even, even when it's good news, you don't necessarily want to just fill it with, you know, with endless stuff. Um, but to look at it from that angle um, so that you're thinking of where there are vulnerabilities. In the, and again, this, this, this isn't just for crises, but you're thinking about what are the vulnerabilities of your arguments, um, of your message, of the language that you're using. Um, so not just what, what are you saying, but how is that being heard, um, which can sometimes be two totally different things. Um, and look, by looking at it through kind of that filter, then when you are releasing whatever the information is or returning the reporter's phone call, um, you're at a much better place to you know, answer their questions, um, but also emphasize and highlight what you you know, what you want to highlight. So when I was working with Politico on, on, you know, this Israel story, you know, I, this was, I spent longer on this story than any story I, I had ever had. Um, and it was constantly going over with the reporter time and time again, who I'd known for years. So there's, you know, if not total trust there, I, I, I know it's somebody who's a fair player and is, and is going to hear me out. Um, going back and emphasizing points one, two, and three. And that was true of the first conversation and of the last conversation. The, the, the big challenge is when you do that, if, if somehow facts change, or there was something that you didn't know about. Um, and if you do, internally within your team, you have to have a conversation about it, um, challenging your own assumptions on things, which you should be doing anyways, um, before then re-engaging with a reporter. I dealt um, with this one story, this, this bill called the Stock Act that basically was about how members of Congress could or couldn't invest money and, and so forth. Um, and I was working with Dana Bash on it. And Dana, and I'm going to get some of the details wrong, but Dana basically said that there was this one loophole in the bill. And working with um, our legislative director, who's like one of the smartest people I've ever worked with, the answer was no. And the answer was no and no and no and no. And our last conversation, our second to last mm-hmm. conversation, um, she was five minutes from going on air, and our legislative director comes in and says, "She's right." Oh, great.
1: <laughs>
2: so I email her. I'm like, "Can can you can you delay your segment?" Said, no, I'm going live, and I'm like, "Okay, well you're right, and now can you delay it so we can we can provide some context for you?" And we had about a minute and a half to do this, right? And and fortunately, Dana is is really a smart, b fast, but c kind of gets it like that. Um, and we were able to kind of shape the story a little bit better than we would but you know if if I'm telling you you know basically something that isn't true I'm telling you five times this is a certifiable fact that you're wrong and then you're right well it's not your problem it's my problem mm-hmm. and you know trying to fix that can be rather difficult so if you can get it right first ideally get it right <laughs> first
0: Great. And on a campus like
1: Georgetown, where we have quite a few politically engaged students, I'm sure your advice will be well taken by the administration. <laughs> well,
2: and, and look, you know, these things, it, it's, it's not just politics. And, and so not to, you know, pick on Georgetown basketball. I'm excited about Patrick Ewing. But, <laughs> as, but, as are we. You know, the, John Thompson is, is the coach and will always be the coach until the moment he's not. Yeah. You know, and so when calls are coming from, you know, ESPN or USA Today or whatever, you know, on what his status is. He's our coach, and we love him. And he's going to be here for you know as long as he can be here, you know. And so you see very often in politics, there's like a well, why didn't they tell us that you know he was on his way out or she was on her way out? Right. You know, it's it's the exact same thing. You can't. Yeah. yeah.
1: Great. Um, So we are wrapping up. We're hitting our closing segment. Uh, so something we like to do, which is a, a fun bit to to end out the segment, is a lightning round. Oh okay, so gosh. We've, uh, <laughs> right. We got a few questions. Um, They're simple. Usually yes or no. Or so. You know, just to, just to pick your brain a bit. Yeah. So, we will get started. First lightning round question. If you could have any position in the political world, what would it be?
2: Ambassador to France.
0: All, All right. right. Wait, I want to follow why. <laughs> or,
1: or,
2: or Spain or England or, you know, or the fun Australia. Travel, right. great food. Um, like, can't yeah, be exactly. Like like Actually, no, it's, it's funny. The, I mean, they're, they're great jobs. I, I think, uh, although when they entertain, they have to pay for it. Like, it's not... A huge slush fund, like people think. It is. <laughs> um, well, that's good to know. That's a good you know thing. Like, it's good. It's reassuring. Look, I, I think the jobs have gotten much harder. Sure. Um, Congress right now is not a good workplace. It's mm-hmm. not a happy workplace. Um, Republicans aren't happy. Democrats aren't happy. Um, so, yeah, I just I'll, I'll go to I'll to Paris. Get out. I'll go to Paris Get for with you. Uh, all
1: right. Yes or no? Do the Republicans pass a health care bill?
2: Is there a third option?
1: Yeah, sure, sure.
2: I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, th- that's the honest truth. I don't, that's I don't fair. know. That's very fair. You know, we're, they're trying to do big things right now, which, which I, which I'm, I'm glad they are, especially with tax reform. Um, but they're not easy to do, and no, as we're learning not. with kind of this cast of characters, they're really not easy to do. Yeah, for sure. I don't know.
1: All right, very fair answer. Uh, and then last, of our, uh, our lightning round: which party is more effective at communications it's a Loaded question it is. <laughs> and again, I, I doubt an easy answer. <laughs>
2: I think it's easier to communicate as a Democrat. Um, yeah, in today's world, I understand that. Well, but especially minority um, communications is always easy. You know, resist. Okay, yeah. great, we're done. You know, <laughs> Trump bad, and Republicans did that when you know when they were in the minority against Trump. Mm-hmm. That's easy. Um, but what I mean is, um, you know, Democrats. Democrats want to give everybody everything. You know, yeah. <laughs> Every everything should be free. School should be free, and then. The, the details gonna be like, but you have to work in that state for the next ten years and if you ever move, you gotta pay everything back. And okay, great. Um, but the communications bit you know, free. <laughs> healthcare should be free, but you know, if you look at all but you know, there, there's a Santa Claus mentality to it. I don't mean that as an insult. Um, um,
0: that was a valid
1: point. You know yeah. and Santa Claus as well. Yeah. It's easy,
2: you know, it's easy to say, gosh, we love our national parks and we want more of them and and et cetera. You know, Republicans will say, okay, well let's look at what the Park Service does and then say the National Forest Service and you know, can we open some of that up to logging? Mm-hmm. Well, that's not as positive, you know, um, kumbaya messaging. So I think it's easier to be a Democrat. Mo Alethi would obviously very much disagree with me <laughs> um, Who's most effective? I think it comes down to individuals.
0: Yeah. Sure, makes sense. All right, and this is the last question. We like to ask all of our guests this uh, because we are talking to primarily a student audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, so our question is: What advice would you give college students who want to be in the communication world someday, and how can they start right here?
2: Um, first thing: Don't post or tweet stupid things. <laughs> don't trust that your Snapchat picture is going to be deleted forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm, I don't mean—I mean—I mean that somewhat not seriously, but I mean it totally seriously. The John Awesome
0: Effect. Um, <laughs> yeah.
2: Exactly. Um, you know. But the other is consume as much news as you can. Consume news that you don't agree with, especially, and everybody should do that. Um, and then look for, you know, look for opportunities for for how you can get involved. You know, that, those are campaigns. Those are congressional offices. Those are governor's offices, um, state legislative um, bodies. They all have positions for that. They all need help with it. And, you know, to be blunt, since some of them are are older, you know, they don't, they don't get what a beat speaker is. Right. That is that is the craziest thing they've ever seen. Um, you know, they still want to use their fax machine and so forth. Um, so also, you know, which I I can't do. Learn how to code. Um, communications today is massively different than it was just five years ago. Sure. Um, you know, I think every member now has a Twitter account. Five years ago, definitely not the case. Um, will people will members of Congress be tweeting in ten years? I don't think anybody knows. Um, also, look at how kind of e- economies and er- industries get disrupted. Um, Uber and Lyft are a good example. Donald Trump's an example of that. Mm-hmm. Um, Hillary Clinton was a candidate begging to be disrupted, and so Bernie Sanders is an example of that as well to some extent. I think that also can show you how you know kind of these old conventions can can be busted. Um, and that comes down, you know, first and foremost to communication. Um, you can have the smartest policy platform in the world, but if people don't want to listen to you deliver it, they won't hear it.
1: doesn't matter much. Great. Well, uh, I mean, that was an incredible conversation. Hopefully uh, our listeners are taking notes out there <laughs> if you're interested in the
0: communications world. I know I was. Yeah, right. Absolutely. I got some I'm, good not, I'm looking at you and you did not take any notes. That is a lie <laughs> Well, I have it, it digitally recorded, but right? I have to listen to this for
1: posterity. <laughs> Great. Well, Doug, thank you so much thank for you. coming by. Really appreciate, uh, well, we appreciate it. Appreciate you having on the pod.
2: Happy to do it. Thank you.
0: Thanks so much for listening to Fly on the Wall. I almost said Fly on the World. I'm still in that mindset because in case you haven't heard, Fly on the World dropped on Wednesday. It's fantastic conversation, totally candid with the ambassador from Barbados to the United States. I can't stress how cool that is. He, like, knows what it's like to have his island, like, sinking quickly because of rising sea levels. Like, that's that's some really deep stuff, and yeah. he offers some fantastic perspective. So you can... Uh...
1: Keep an eye out for more Fly on the World uh, series podcasts as well as um, some updated um, news about Fly on the Wall um, via our social media on Twitter, Facebook, at Fly on the Wall Pod. Um, definitely give us a check out. Um, our communications director, Kendall Solonik, is doing an incredible job. Oh, fantastic job.
0: Uh, and I just want to also add, you have a thought about our podcast if you have a guest suggestion if you know someone who would be interested in being interviewed uh, you can just email at fly on the wall podcast at gmail.com we were actually lucky enough to get that <laughs> gmail uh handle uh find the wall podcast at gmail.com so definitely shoot us a message there or i mean our net ids aren't hard to find um there are i will say there are two aaron bennett's so you're gonna want to be careful <laughs> I'm AB3141. I don't know what the other one is, but sometimes I get his mail, and it's a problem. <laughs> so thanks so much for listening to us talking to Doug. Justin, any, uh, any last words? Have a great Easter. We'll see you back on Tuesday. Happy! I forget it's Easter, because it's like super not Easter right now when we're doing this. But like, <laughs> Easter for y'all. So have a happy Easter. Enjoy family. Travel back safe. We'll see you on the hilltop in just a few days. I'm just honestly not creative enough to come up with something. I'm not either. I'm a pretty Christian. Like, we need Christian to, like, figure out what to put. we talk about now. how much Christian? I think we should talk about how much one is Christian. Christian, we miss you!